Have you ever had a moment in your life that something definitely happened, but you feel like, I'm just going to pretend like this moment didn't happen? Anybody ever been there uh, before? Yeah? Okay. So the other, the other day, um, we decided we've got to cut our son Luke's hair. And if you don't know us, um, I'm Pastor Jeff. My wife was Jessica. She was singing this morning. And we have three boys. And um, we have a 13-year-old son. He was actually playing on stage today. And then we have an 8-year-old son. And we have a 3-year-old son, Luke. And Luke is just the most uh, fiery um, kid you've ever met in your life, and he's very precise, and he knows exactly what he wants, and one of the things that he knows that he does not want is he does not want his haircut, okay? We'll say to Luke, hey, Luke, you want to get a haircut? And he'll go, no, okay? I mean, just like flat out, nope, not interested. That's just not what I'm about, okay? And so I just got to the place the other day where I looked at my son, and I was like, you look like a homeless child right now. I mean, literally like just take a homeless child and him, and I mean, he could be on the uh, front of a card for homeless children, okay? And so I was like, we are cutting this kid's hair, okay? And so um, Jess had breakfast with somebody the other morning. I thought, okay, this is a perfect time. The boys are on spring break. I'll round them all up together and get there really early and look at the haircut. And so we get there, and I'm thinking, okay, should Luke go first? Should the other boys go first? And and, and the barbershop that we go to fills up really quick, and so I'm thinking, okay, if if this is going to be a terrible scene, then I should probably do Luke first, okay? And so in me and Jess, we have been praying, like, Lord, just, like, let peace abound, you know what I mean? Just, like, let him settle down. And so so I put him in the chair, and um, I, like, turn around quick, and boom, there he goes. He's just, and he's just, he's just running the other direction and so I'm like okay okay all right well maybe maybe he won't sit by himself so I'll have to sit with him you know what I mean so I grab him and I put him on my lap and we sit in the chair and and here comes the cape you know and the cape comes and up oh, there he goes again you know what I mean he's yeah I don't want anything to do with this and so so now I'm like okay now I'm gonna have to pull on the full court press the dad grip you know what I mean like the dad halt grip you know what I mean and so I sit him down, and, and I got him, and we get the cape on him, and we squirt some stuff on his head, and he's kind of doing this, you know what I mean? And, and, and so he takes a couple swipes, gets a couple good, you know, scissor cut, and, and we're okay. And I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, like, maybe this is going to be okay. Like, you know what I mean? Like, so needless to say, the last time he got his hair cut, Jess cut his hair, and it was just lots of screaming and spanking. And she was thinking, you know, maybe this will be different. So, so then he grabs, you know, the buzzers, the clippers, and all hell breaks loose. Okay, I mean, just, it's just, I mean, I mean, he is now screaming at a level that is just unhumanly possible to just understand how loud he can get. And I am wrestling, um, I'm trying to think of like, maybe like, like a wolverine is a small animal, okay, okay, I, I'm literally wrestling a small wolverine right now, and I'm like, I'm grabbing him, I'm spanking him, I'm, he's crying, he's yelling, we're, we're cutting hair, I'm just like, how is this guy cutting his hair, he's moving, I'm like, death grip locked on him, I'm like, how does this kid have this much strength, you know, and then we get to the spot where, 
where now there's hair that's falling. It's getting in my mouth. It's getting in his mouth. And, and once he starts getting in his mouth, he has a gag reflex like me. And so he's kind of doing this. Now he's going, uh, uh, and I'm like, somebody get a trash can. He's going to hurl all over the barber. And I mean, it is just the worst scene you could possibly imagine for about 20 minutes. Now the whole time, my son, middle son, Ben, when he gets nervous, he laughs for some reason. So he's on the ground, like in tears, laughing. And I'm looking at him like, I'm going to shrink the crap out of you when I'm done. You know, I'm just like, and Michael is the complete opposite. Michael's just like, I'm going to zone out. Like, I'm going to act like I don't even exist right now. Like, this, none of this is happening, you know. And so this whole scene is happening. And we get done. And I'm just like, you know, I'm so stressed out at this moment. My heart is just beating, you know. And, and so there's the barber and there's this other guy. This other guy's like 28. And so the barber says to me, he's like, oh, don't worry about it. Like, you know, every, everything's okay. I'm like, everything is not okay. This is not okay. This is not a good situation. Like, I mean, am I going to be holding him down like this when he's 16 someday? You know, like, what's, you know, what's going to happen someday? And, and then the guy that's there, you know, he's a younger guy. And so I start talking to him. I'm like, you know, who are you? And he tells me his name. Like, what do you do? He's like, I'm a police officer. And, and I'm like, how old are you? He's like 28. And I'm like, do you have kids? Because if you don't have kids, this just permanently made a decision in your mind that you will never, ever have children. And he goes, well, actually, my wife is actually pregnant. We're expecting our first son. And I'm like, well, God bless your soul, you know. And I'm like, I'm like, just like, I'm so sorry that you saw this whole scene. And he looks at me and he says, oh, it's okay. I've seen this before. And I'm like, You've seen this before? Where have you seen this before? Because I have never seen this before. And it was just one of those moments that, like, it was so horrific. I literally thought somebody was like, going to call the cops because there's, like, a gas station next door, and they're hearing this screaming. I'm thinking, they got to think somebody's being tortured right now. You know what I mean? Somebody's being mutilated at this moment. And I'm thinking to myself, like, isn't it amazing how something can happen that is so real? But when it's over, we can just kind of go, ah, yeah, whatever. We just kind of pretend like maybe this didn't really happen. And this is actually what is happening in the book of Colossians with these people. These people are under great pressure from the community. They're under great pressure from theologians and leaders and and people, they're all saying this, we want to pretend and we want to act like the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ never happened. We want to believe that Jesus was a good man, but he really wasn't the God man. We want to believe that Jesus was a good guy, but he wasn't really the Messiah. And he really didn't die for the sins of the world. And he really didn't go to the grave. And they really didn't find the tomb empty. And he really didn't raise to life again. We, we just want to pretend like these things never really happened. And unfortunately, this is a taste of the culture that we're in right now. You know, it's like, yeah, let's, let's play church and let's have church but do we really believe that Jesus is king? He's my king. 
our king, the world's king? Did Jesus really come and give his soul and give his life for us? Or are we just going to pretend like that never really happened? See, I think it's sometimes difficult for us to remember and to, not remember, but to really comprehend and understand that, that Jesus lived on this earth like we did. Just, just like us today, here and now. And he actually lived here. And he did life like we do life. And he went to dinners and he went to weddings and, and, and he spent time with people and he lived a life just like us. But yet he was God and King of kings and Lord of lords. And what's so interesting about all this is that God truly gives us this amazing opportunity while we're here on earth to understand him and to make choices about what we believe. You know, first service, um, I had Shannon come up front. Shannon's been dealing with some stuff in his body, and we prayed over him, and we're believing for perfect health and healing and restoration for Shannon's body. And I said, you know, the reality is this. We all have choices, and, and even though I 100% believe that God is capable and, and wants and loves and cares for Shannon and wants to heal him, it's still Shannon's choice to believe if God heals. See, choice is a really big deal in life. God gives us choice to believe what we want to believe about his death, burial, and resurrection. He gives us choice to believe about what, what really happened on the cross. Did he really take our sin? Did he really take our sickness? Did he really take it all in and in his body? So we're going to take a look at this today and about this word choice. Okay, so go with me to uh, Genesis. Genesis chapter 1, okay, verse 26, and it says this. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and the livestock, and the wild animals on the earth, and all the small animals that scurry around the ground. Verse 27, so God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Verse 31, then God looked over all that he had made and saw that it was very good. And that evening passed and morning came, making the sixth day. So two things we need to see off the bat is, number one, God made them like us. Who's he talking about like us? You need is God schizo? Is he talking to himself in this morning? You know what I mean? Like, who's he talking to? He's talking to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all existed together. It's a trinity. And so God says, let's make man and woman like us, our nature. Well, what's God's nature? God's nature is perfect. It's sinless, right? So God makes Adam and Eve as perfect, sinless beings. And he calls it what? Very good. He says Adam and Eve are very good because they have the same nature and same spirit as I do, okay? Now let's jump ahead to chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse 15, God takes them and says, I'm going to put them into what? The garden. God creates this beautiful garden for them to exist and to live in. In verse 15, it says, the Lord, uh, the Lord God placed man in the garden of Eden to tend and to watch over it. 
So God gave man a job and a duty and a responsibility. In verse 16, the Lord warned him. He says this, you may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden. Okay, so God says, listen, it's a beautiful garden. Can you imagine the garden God created? Can you imagine all the different fruits and all the different things that God created for them to eat and to partake of? It's not like God was like, hey, here's an apple. Enjoy it for the rest of your life. You know what I mean? Like, cool, apple, you know? But then he goes on in verse 17, he says this, except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, if you eat this fruit, you are sure to die. So let's ask a couple questions here, okay? Why does God create a tree that they can't eat from? What's the purpose? You know, I'm a father. I wouldn't, I wouldn't go, hey, guys, um, I made two pots of Kool-Aid. One's poisonous and the other one's not. Um, don't, don't drink the poison one. You really don't want to drink that one. But here, here's a good one. It's the sugar one, you know. Why does he create two trees? I think it then takes us to even a more powerful and bigger question of why is there sin in the world? And why are there horrible things in the world? Why is there um, kids that get abused in this world? And why are people raped in this world? And why are people abused in this world? And why are people starving and hungry in this world? And why are there terrible and awful things happening all the time in this world, happening today on Easter? Why? If God is really good, and his nature is good, and he is love, then why do we experience these things on the earth? And why does God create this, this, this moment in the garden where he says, listen, you can eat anything in here, but this one tree, you can't eat of this tree. And the answer is this. It's called love. Now, you might be thinking like, hey, start the car. There's a better Easter service we can go to today because... That, that sounds crazy, okay? You just told me all the horrible things of this world come from love? Yeah, let me help you understand this. God is love. God wants us to love and to act like him. So the only way I can choose love is if there is an opposite. Does that make sense? I can't choose love if all the only thing is is love. So and I'm in the garden, I can't choose to obey God unless there's an option not to obey God. So God gives this great thing called choice. He gives us free will. It's this beautiful gift that God gave us because the reality is this. God could have just wired you to love him, right? All of us, everybody in the whole entire world today, God created them, he knows them, he knows their name, he knows how many hairs are on the top of their head, he knows everything about them, how they wired them, and the one thing he wired everybody with, and he even wired the angels in heaven with this, because we see, you know, Lucifer, and we see the angels that fall away, he wires them with what? Free will. Why? Because it's a choice, do I love God or not love God? Do I choose Jesus or not choose Jesus? And then after I've chosen to maybe serve Jesus, now I have to choose what in this book do I believe is truth, right? 
Because how many people are serving Jesus today, but they go, you know what, there's, there's this one chapter I really, really love. Like, I really love Romans 5. It's like a really good chapter, you know. But I'm not so down with, you know, uh, Ephesians, I think, chapter 5 or 6, where it's talking about all the different sin and stuff like that. Like, can we just kind of skip that part? You know what I mean? Like, not really down with that. Why? It's choice. We choose what we want. Look, look love requires free will. Love requires me to be able to make a choice. Okay, so look at this. Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. It says, the woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious. And she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took the fruit she ate it, she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. Eve saw that it was good, under no pressure from God, made a choice and a decision to go, I would rather serve this other entity right now than God. I choose right now to serve this entity, the serpent, who is challenging my identity in Christ. Because remember what God said? God already declared that they were good. God declared that what he made was perfect. It was sinless, blameless, perfect. God declared it. And here's the serpent challenging this. And Eve makes a choice to go, you know what? I think you're right. God is holding out on us. God doesn't have my best interest in mind. And it says she was convinced and she wanted it. Now, Adam, he had no choice in the matter. He was standing next to a naked woman, okay? I mean, it's just, I mean, I mean I'm mean, i sorry if that offends you, uh, but it is real. Thank you, Zach, for the honest laugh uh, right there. But, you know, he, she's just like, you're going to eat the fruit. And he's like, yes, I am going to eat the fruit. I mean, it's just, just what's going to happen, you know, right now. Go with me to Luke chapter 23. And we're going to look at verses 32 through 43. It says this, two criminals were led away with Jesus, and all three were to be executed together. Verse 33, when they came to the place known as the skull, the guards crucified Jesus, nailing him to the center cross between the two criminals. While they were nailing Jesus to the cross, he prayed over and over, Father, Father, for they do not know what they are doing. The soldiers, after they crucified him, gambled over his clothing. A great crowd gathered to watch what was happening. The religious leaders snickered at Jesus and mocked him, saying, Look at this man. What kind of chosen Messiah is he? He pretends to save others, but he cannot even save himself. Verse 36, the soldiers joined in, mocking him, offering Jesus a drink of vinegar. Over Jesus' head, uh, on the cross is written an, an inscription in Greek and Latin and Aramaic. This is the king of the Jews. And all the soldiers laughed and scoffed at him saying, hey, if you are the king of the Jews, why don't you save yourself? Now, one of the criminals hanging on the cross next to Jesus kept ridiculing him saying, what kind of Messiah are you? Save yourself. And save us from this death. Verse 40, the criminal hanging on the other side rebuked the man saying, don't you fear God 
you're about to die. We deserve to be condemned for we were just being repaid for what we've done. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, I beg of you, my Lord Jesus, show me grace and take me into your everlasting kingdom. And Jesus' response was, I promise you, this very day you will enter into paradise with me. God gives us a very clear picture through the entire Bible. Choice matters. Choices you make to choose Jesus or not to choose Jesus has great, great consequences. One man chooses Jesus and gets eternal life. Another man doesn't choose Jesus and ends up being damned to hell. Now, the problem that I have with this story, and I've always had with this story when I was growing up was this. I felt like, where's the justice? The Bible said there was two criminals. Jesus wasn't a criminal. Jesus was God who lived perfectly and sinless, and he is on the cross giving his life for me and you today. But here are two criminals that are accused of wrongdoings, and one of them gets mercy, and one of them doesn't. Where's the justice in all this? Because the reality is this. The Bible says that God sits on the mercy seat, okay? But it's established upon justice. So God is a God of justice, but he's also a God of mercy. And God wants to release mercy, but he has to always honor justice. It's in our DNA. When we see something wrong, I remember a few weeks ago, we were at Chick-fil-A, and we're having dinner as a family, and I, and I can hear this man who has cornered this woman in the booth, and he's talking to her, and I don't really know what he's saying, but the woman is repeatedly saying, leave me alone, please go away, over and over again. And finally, about five minutes have passed, and I finally hear him say, listen, if I wanted you dead, you would have been dead already. And at that very moment, I couldn't take it anymore. I stood up, I grabbed the man's arm, and I said, you need to get out of here right now. You need to leave this woman alone. He then went to try to shake my hand. I was like, oh, bro, I'm going to hit you as hard as I can right now, you know? I was like, you got to get out of here. I don't know this woman. Why is that in me? Because inside of all of us, we yearn for justice. We look at the injustice in our world. We look at injustice in our families. We look at injustice and we go, that's not right. Because God put that inside of us. Because he is a God of justice, but he's also a God of mercy. And he's a God of love and he wants love and mercy to abound. And so today I want to give us a picture of how this works in the kingdom of God in our life. And so look at your neighbor and say, we're going to have a little fun right now. Okay, look at him and say, we're going to have a little fun, okay? I know it's Easter morning, but we can have some fun, and uh, we can laugh. And today we're going to take a look at the judgment seat of Christ and how justice and mercy are released at the judgment seat of Christ. So today we're going to pretend, and it's just we're just pretending, that our great beloved Drew Woodworth has died in a horrible, tragic skateboard accident, and uh, he is now 
going to see God the Father. Go ahead. Drew David Woodworth, it's time to go to heaven. I have seen your whole life, and now it's time to come before me. Come forth! It is time to give an account of what you have done on earth. All right. Now enter the arena. God, the creator of heaven and earth. God the Father, everybody, give it up for God the Father. <laughs> also enter the arena, the one they call Beelzebub, the one we hate, awful, the devil. <laughs> but last, but certainly not least, the one, the only, Risen, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ, everybody. All right, all right, all right. You're like, is that Carmen? Do I, did I just hear it? Yes, it is Carmen, and I love Carmen, okay? If you say a bad word about Carmen, we got issues after church, okay? All right? Man, you play the, you play the champion for me, man. I'm going to start busting out some tears and... I'm going to want to fight the devil myself, okay? So, judge the seat of Christ. Drew, our man, as he, once, <laughs> as he once lived, did not believe in Jesus. Made a choice to not choose Jesus. And so, Drew makes a decision, I'm not going to choose Jesus, and, and it is clearly his choice in this life, and so... Drew doesn't choose Jesus, and then he goes, I'm going to go out skateboarding my buddies, and they go down a big hill, and he loses control, and let's just say for good fun that a semi hits you, okay, and just just totally, I mean, I mean, it's like a deer scene, okay, I'm just, just everywhere, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> okay. All of a sudden, Drew finds himself standing before who? God the Father, okay, one sitting on the throne. The one who establishes justice, mercy, and love. But remember, God the Father has to make a ruling based on what? Drew's life. Now, the devil has this book, okay? And it's the book of Drew, okay? And in the book of Drew is every mistake that Drew has ever made. Every, every time he lied to his poor old dad. I mean, seriously, how could you lie to your dad? Seriously, okay? Everything he's done wrong, said wrong. The devil has this book, and he says, listen, he has fallen short of your commandments. And because he's fallen short of your commandments, his soul is mine. Because God the Father goes, you know, I hate to do this, but... Guilty as charged. He is guilty. That was good. That sounded really good, okay? So Drew's guilty as charged, so the devil's like, hey, hey, listen. His soul is mine, okay? Now, let's, let's do this for good fun, okay? Drew's dad goes, I'm a great dad, and I love my son, and I know he made these decisions, and I know he, he messed up, but you know what? I, I can't stand for this. So he does what? 
Come on, give it up for Woody, everybody. Listen, I think there's an award coming for that, okay? Okay. But the problem is this. The enemy goes, well, guess what? I got the book of Woody. And the book of Woody is even bigger than the book of Drew. And the problem is this, is that Drew and Woody are both on death row. Why? Because they have sinned. They've fallen short of God's great standards. And there's nobody that's able to pay an atonement for Drew's sin. Drew can't pay an atonement because he's got a bunch of junk. Woody can't. None of us can because we all are sinners. So God says, listen, I'm going to take my son, my only son, Jesus, and he's going to send him to earth, and he's going to live a perfect, sinless life. Doesn't Levi look like a great Jesus right now? Such a great Jesus. And Jesus comes, and he lives a perfect life. Like the book of Hebrews says, he's our great advocator. He's gone through everything that we've gone through. He knows, he knows what bitterness feels like. He knows what anger feels like. He knows what lust feels like. He knows what anything that we go through on a daily basis, Jesus knows. But yet, he did not sin. And because he did not sin, it made Jesus worthy and able to say, you know what, I'll give my life. Because somebody's got to pay for this injustice, right? God is a God who sits on justice. And because of Drew's injustice, somebody's got to be able to pay the price, correct? So Jesus comes, he lives a perfect life, he dies on the cross, he raises from the dead, and he's our King of kings and Lord of lords. So now, when God the Father looks at Drew, he looks at it like this. God the Father looks through Jesus. And Jesus is perfect. He's sinless. He's righteous, holy, just. The blood that he spilled, I remember one time somebody said to me, why, why was there so much blood? Why did Jesus' blood matter? Because it's the blood of the lamb, Jesus the lamb. He pays the price. His perfect love, love and blood pays for the justice. So now God the Father looks through Jesus and he looks at Drew and Drew is as, as perfect as Jesus. Drew is a perfect son, completely righteous, completely holy, not because of anything that Drew has done in his life. If anything, there is a book full of terrible things. I, I'm sorry, I, I love you. You know I do, I know. But Jesus, he's the one who makes us righteous. He's the one who makes us whole. Come on, give it up for my crew this morning. God creates justice through Jesus so that he can what? Release mercy. And when God releases his mercy, he makes us righteous. And he makes us whole. Now, the problem that we have is understanding 
that we are as righteous today as we will ever be. You're never going to be more righteous. Never. I don't care how much money you give to the church. I don't care how much you serve. I don't care how many good things you do. I don't care how many old ladies you help across the streets, even though it's really nice and I suggest doing that. You're as righteous today because of the blood of Jesus Christ. There's nothing you can do more. Nothing you can do to earn more grace or righteousness. God makes us completely complete in him.